It's good to be with you all this morning. Good to spend some time worshiping with you. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. John chapter 10. So last week, while you're turning there, kind of catch you up. Last week, Pastor Thomas taught from John chapter 9, where Jesus healed the man born blind. Um, And what many people don't realize about John chapter 10 is that it's a continuation of what happened at John 9. So John 10 just picks picks up where John 9 left off. So it's not a, a change of subject. I think oftentimes when we see the chapter uh, headings and verses, we think that uh, almost in our minds we see a new chapter and we think that the subject has completely changed. But actually, uh, chapter and verse divisions weren't added to the Bible until about 1227 A.D. And they were added because it's a lot easier to look up a verse when you can you know, pick out a chapter and a verse. Uh, it's much more difficult uh, when you don't have those. But uh, the way that uh, scripture was written uh, in the original manuscripts in Greek, uh, Greek actually doesn't even have any punctuation, and all the letters were capitalized, and there were no chapter and verse divisions. It looked a little bit like that. So you can imagine how much difficult it would be to just flip open your Bible and find a, a verse if everything looked like that, right? Even if it was in English. Uh, but I point that out to you to point out that it's, it's important to, when you're reading Scripture, that don't always assume that a new chapter means a new context. So you, when you read the Bible, you want to read it carefully. And so at the, at the end of John chapter 9, when we left off, Jesus had an exchange with some of the Pharisees. And Jesus had just, he had found the blind man that he had healed And the blind man had been cast out of the synagogue for his testimony about Jesus. The Pharisees had cast him out. Uh, Jesus had revealed himself uh, as the Messiah to the man. The man had believed. Um, And then uh, he turned to the Pharisees and he chastised them because they claimed to see, but they were spiritually blind. So let me read you the last two verses of John 9. So Jesus said to the Pharisees, Sorry, verse 40 says, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. So that's Jesus just directly confronting the Pharisees here. And then when we get to the next verse, John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus is still talking to the Pharisees. We haven't left the scene and gone to a new scene, all right? And so Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, and then he goes on to tell a parable. Uh, Fred Bruner is a a commentator and Bible scholar. He wrote that John chapter 10 continues in theological form what John 9 depicted in narrative form. In other words, John chapter 10 is a word picture that Jesus gives of what just happened in John chapter 9. So Jesus is almost like going, let me, let me tell you guys what just happened. Let me try to explain this for you, what just happened in John 9 in another way. So let's go ahead and read the text. We're going to read John 10, 1 to 21, and then we'll jump in and see what Jesus is saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, 
and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Another said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that as we read your word out loud, it's not my voice, but it is the voice of the shepherd calling his sheep. And I pray that your sheep would hear your voice this morning. God, I pray for... Wandering sheep, sheep that belong to you, but they've been wandering away from you and and wandering off towards sin and towards danger. I pray that they would hear the voice of their shepherd this morning and repent and come back to you and come back to the safety of the fold. God, I pray for those sheep who belong to you, who you chose from before the foundation of the earth, but they have never heard the voice of the shepherd. But I pray that today would be the day that they hear your voice, that today is the day of salvation and that they would hear you, that their eyes spiritually would be opened, that they would come to you, Jesus, and be saved. That they would come and find the protection and the provision that you offer to your sheep. You are such a good shepherd. You know every one of our needs. You know the condition of your flock. You know those of us who are sick and who are hurting. God, You know those of us who are lame. You know those of us who are hungry. You know those of us who are thirsty. You know those of us who are straying. And You will bring those back who are straying. And You will bind up the wounded. And You will carry those of us that cannot walk because You are such a good shepherd. 
God, may people see how good you are this morning. That's my prayer. Jesus, may you be glorified and lifted up in this place today in every single heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in John chapter 10, Jesus warns that there are thieves and robbers and hired hands out there who do not care for the sheep. And he contrasts himself with these false shepherds. So in other words, there are those who claim to have the best interest of God's people in mind, but they lead people astray. Now there are all sorts of voices out there trying to get your attention. There are all sorts of claims out there saying, this is the way that you should go. And there are all sorts of leaders out there who want you to follow them. There's only one voice that we should listen to. And there's only one way into the flock of God, the church. And there's only one good shepherd who is worthy of following. It's important that we pay attention this morning to God's Word so that we know this one voice, so that we know this one way into God's flock, and so we know this one good shepherd that we ought to follow. So in this passage, Jesus uses this sheepfold shepherd imagery to teach us, teach us three ways that He cares for us. So we're going to look at these three ways. The first way that Jesus teaches that He cares for us is that Jesus gently calls out His sheep by name. Jesus gently calls out His sheep by name. So in verses 1 to 5, Jesus tells a parable. But what exactly does it mean? Because there's a lot of imagery going on here. It was certainly not a random choice of a metaphor by Jesus. He didn't just come up with this off the top of His head. Uh, the shepherd and sheep imagery is very common in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament. But Ezekiel 34 in particular is unmistakably what Jesus had in mind. I wish I had time to read it all, um, but let me recap because I think it will help us make sense of this parable here in these first five verses if I share with you a little bit of what uh, the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel. So Ezekiel 34, verses 2 to 4. The Lord says this, and by the way, he's talking to, he's going to address the shepherds of Israel, which would be the leaders, the people who are supposed to lead God's people spiritually, okay? He says, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So the Lord through the prophet Ezekiel denounced the leaders of His people for harshly ruling over the sheep and putting themselves first. And so what does God say He's going to do because of the failure of the spiritual leaders? Of his people, on verse 15 and 16 of Ezekiel 34, he says this. He says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So since the shepherds failed, the Lord says He Himself 
will gather up and care for his true sheep. But then he gets even more specific. Listen to how the Lord says he's going to do this, how he's going to rescue and care for his flock. Listen to verse 23 and 24 of Ezekiel 34. He says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So the son of David, the Messiah, will be the one shepherd of God's sheep. Do you see what Jesus is saying now to the Pharisees in this parable? To the shepherds who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders of God's people? This is a denouncement of the Pharisees as false shepherds and an announcement of his arrival, of Jesus' arrival as the true shepherd, as the son of David, as the one who was promised to come in Ezekiel 34. And what just took place in John chapter 9 with the man born blind is proof. Jesus is demonstrating that just like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34 who did not care for the weak, The Pharisees harshly cast out the man born blind from the synagogue. They did not care for the weak. They are thieves and robbers who climbed into the sheepfold by another way. In other words, they are not true shepherds of God's flock. True shepherds who belong with the sheep can just go through the door. If you're sneaking over a fence, then that probably means you're not supposed to be wherever it is that you're going. If you belong there, you'll just walk through the door. They weren't going through the door. They got in by another way. And not only that, true shepherds of God's people will not harm the sheep or malign the true shepherd, Jesus. And that's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. So what did Jesus do? Jesus, the true shepherd, he entered into the sheepfold. He came into the midst of the people of Israel and he called his sheep out by name. Verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Um, I, I, I was researching a little bit about how, how shepherds call sheep, and I didn't know anything about this, and this is pretty unfamiliar to us because you know I don't think there's any shepherds in the congregation. If there is, let me know. You can come talk to me afterwards. But, it's, but shepherds, especially in the Middle East, they have distinct calls for their sheep, for their flock. I read a story about a Palestinian woman whose husband... Uh, was killed uh, in uh, conflict, and she was in dire need. Um, and uh, her, uh, her, her uh, possessions, like one of her only possessions, was the flock, the flock of sheep that their family had. Uh, but it had kind of, in the midst of the chaos, had gotten gathered in with a bunch of other sheep. But uh, basically, she convinced some Isra- the Israeli officials to let her try to find her sheep out of the midst of this sea of sheep. And she had 25 sheep, and there were thousands of sheep. And she asked if she could have permission to call her sheep. And, and they were like, well, we don't think this is going to work, but oh, whatever, we'll let you do it. And so uh, her son got out a flute uh, and, that they used to call their, their flock of 25 sheep and begin to play a distinct tune. And sure enough, as he began to play, 25 heads of sheep popped up. And all of a sudden, they just started to make their way through the sea of all the other sheep. And about five minutes later, all 25 sheep 
were following the woman and her son right back to their home. And in the same way, Jesus called the man born blind from out of the synagogue and he believed and he followed. Ironically, the Pharisees thought that they were casting the man out of God's flock. But it's actually the Pharisees who were on the outside of God's true sheep looking in because they did not recognize the voice of the shepherd. When the shepherd spoke, they ignored him. They maligned him. But the true sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow and they obey. And not to get too ahead of myself, but as we're going to see shortly, Jesus is gathering sheep for his flock, not from just within the people of Israel, but from every tribe and tongue and nation. Jesus has sheep that belong to him and he will call them and gather them from out of the world. When Jesus calls his sheep out of sin and into a life of following him, he calls them by name. Individually, that's what he says here. He calls them by name. Just like he called the man born blind out of the Jewish synagogue, Jesus is calling people today out of dead religion to follow him as the good shepherd. Jesus is calling his sheep out of the world and into his flock. Not everyone listens to the voice of the shepherd, but true sheep do. And God has chosen his sheep from before the foundation of the world. He knows them. And as he makes clear in verse 16, Jesus says, they will listen to my voice. Do you know the voice of the shepherd? Have you followed him? Those who know the shepherd's voice follow him and obey him. If you hear the shepherd's voice this morning, let me urge you to follow him. Don't wait. There's no reason to hesitate. If you know his voice and you hear him, then follow him. And maybe you're a wandering sheep. Maybe you've already begun following the shepherd, but you've been straying away. Let me encourage you by reminding you that Jesus is a gentle shepherd. He knows that we're sheep. That's not the most flattering metaphor in the world to describe us. But we are sheep and we do dumb things. So he's incredibly patient with us. He's not going to explode on you or cast you out of the flock just because you begin to wonder. He gently but firmly corrects us through discipline and brings us back to the fold. And maybe he's doing that with you right now. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I know this, that no matter what it is, you don't have to be afraid of the shepherd. He's good. He's kind. He's gentle. He's merciful. His mercy knows no bounds. You can come to him this morning. So if you've been listening to the voice of strangers and wandering from the flock, then hear the shepherd's voice this morning calling you back. And not only does Jesus call his sheep by name, but once he calls out, Jesus fully provides for and protects his sheep. It's the second way that the shepherd cares for us. Jesus fully provides for and protects his sheep. We see that in verses 7 to 10. So Jesus, he, he shifts metaphors here and he says, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So 
Jesus begins to build upon the parable that he told in verses 1 to 5, and he goes a little bit deeper, and he begins to use a couple of these metaphors to help teach us about who he is, and he uses the metaphor of the door. And so, uh, in you know, typically shepherds uh, oftentimes will have a sheep pen, and uh, there will either be a door to the sheep pen that the shepherd would tend, and sometimes uh, the shepherd himself would actually lie down at the entrance of the sheep pen so that that way the sheep couldn't get out and people who weren't supposed to be in the pen couldn't get in without going through the shepherd. And so either way, I think Jesus's point here is clear when he says that I am the door. And his point is that you can only enter into the flock of God, the church, through him. Now we've heard, so we're just about sick of it all week, we've heard so much about the, the path to victory goes through Pennsylvania. The path to victory goes through Nevada. Well, guess what? The path to eternal life goes through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone who tells you that there is another way to be saved is a thief and a robber. Your good works can't save you. Being a religious person can't save you. Jesus is the only way to enter into the flock of God, a.k.a. the church. And it is within the flock of God that all the blessings of being under the leadership of the Good Shepherd come. Those who enter the flock by the door enjoy the protection of the shepherd and the provision that the shepherd gives. So in, in, Jesus, in uh, verse 9, Jesus says, Those who enter through Him will be saved especially from those who would seek to steal, kill, and destroy them. There are still thieves and robbers attempting to crawl over the fence to get to God's people today. And they often come in the form of false teachers. They'll try to convince you that there's another way besides the door to enter into the flock of God. And not not all false teachers think that they are intentionally trying to steal, kill, and destroy. They think they have found the path to flourishing. But while they may not be intending to lead people into destruction, that's precisely the effect of their actions when they lead people away from Jesus and from His teaching and His Word. They've convinced themselves that they are in the right, but really they are indulging their own desires and arrogantly rejecting the truth of God's Word. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, he says that false teachers They are deceiving and being deceived. So not only do false teachers deceive others, but they deceive themselves. It's the blind leading the blind, and both of them will fall into a pit. Don't listen to them. Thankfully, Jesus promises to protect His sheep, and His true sheep won't listen to the voice of a stranger. So you don't have to worry. If you're truly a sheep, it belongs to Jesus. He'll protect you from the voices of strangers. And there are several ways that Jesus gives, that God gives us to protect us. One of, the, one of the things that God gives us is His Word, the Bible, right? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 of false teachers, He says, you will know them by their fruit. So if their lives are not matching up with God's Word, or if their teaching is not matching up with God's Word, flee from them. That's how you are able to tell the voice of the shepherd from the voice of a stranger is this right here. Which, by the way, means that if you don't read this ever, you should start. Or else you're going to leave yourself vulnerable because you don't know the voice of the shepherd very well because you're not spending time with the shepherd. 
So if you hear teaching on YouTube or in a book that you pick up that somebody recommends to you or whatever, and it doesn't pass what I call the sniff test, go to God's Word. Does it measure up? But that's not the only way God protects us. You can also go to fellow believers, to the church. There is safety in the flock. Sheep that wander off on their own are vulnerable to thieves and robbers and wolves and others that would seek to do them harm. If you are not intimately in relationship with other Christians, can I just tell you right now, you are actively in danger. And you are naive if you think that you are not. You need the church. Sure, you can find good teaching out there on YouTube, but you can also find deceptive teaching. And even good teachers on YouTube don't know you. There's no replacement for being known personally and being in a committed relationship with other believers in the church. You cannot replicate that in any other way. So let me urge you, if you are not, study God's Word with other believers. Open up your life to others. Invite accountability into your life. It's a good thing. It protects you. It keeps you safe. God has given us the church for our eternal security. Trying to make it on your own is like heaping coals into your lap and thinking that you're not going to get burned. We do have a membership class. If you're not connected to a local church and you want to learn how to do that right after the service this morning, we have a membership class. I would invite you to come so that we can share with you more about how to do that. So please stay for that. Uh, We'll even feed you. Which leads to my next part, provision. The shepherd provides for the sheep. Not only does he protect the flock, but he provides for the flock. He promises abundant provision for those who enter the flock through the door. He says that we will go in and out and find pasture. That's just a a way to say, like, you're never going to go without. You're going to have plenty of green grass with which to feed on. Some people think that Christianity is an invitation to a life of dull, boring rule following. That could not be any further from the truth. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to your greatest delight. There is nothing out in the world that will satisfy you like Jesus will. Why? Because you were created by God for God. Augustine said, once famously prayed to the Lord, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find rest in Thee. Only Jesus can provide for you. Only He can lead you to abundant pastures and streams of water so that you will never hunger or be thirsty again. I love how Psalm 23, many of you know the psalm, sums up the way that Jesus protects us and provides for us. Listen to this. Just listen to God's word to you this morning if you're His sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus gently calls His sheep by name. Jesus fully provides for and protects His sheep But the greatest way that Jesus cares for his sheep is that Jesus sacrificially lays down his life for his sheep. 
In verse 11, Jesus makes the second, what is called the I am statement uh, in the chapter. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus contrasts himself as the good shepherd with hired hands. Now a hired hand just watches the sheep for money. They don't have a personal vested interest in the sheep because the sheep don't belong to them. The sheep are somebody else's problem at the end of the day. I'm just in it for the paycheck. That's a hired hand. So if wolves come, they aren't about to put their lives on the line for some sheep that don't belong to them. But the good shepherd, on the other hand, cares for the sheep and willingly lays down his life for the sheep. He puts his sheep first. Now, I want, I want to stop. I want to make sure you just heard what I'm saying. You realize that we're talking about the creator of the universe right now, right? You realize we're talking about the one through whom all things were made, and without him was not anything made that was made. This is God incarnate, and he is our shepherd, and he puts us first. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I have a question, though. How does it benefit the sheep if the shepherd dies for them? I mean, it's awfully valiant and admirable that a shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep, but a dead shepherd doesn't do the sheep very much good because sheep without a shepherd are in big, big trouble. So if the shepherd's dead, the sheep are going to die anyways. But this shepherd didn't stay dead. Look at verse 17 and 18. Jesus says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, I ha- I, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is a good and gentle shepherd who cares deeply for his sheep. But make no mistake, Jesus is not a mamby-pamby shepherd. He's not a fair-skinned, effeminate man who just likes to cradle baby lambs in his arms and doesn't really... No, 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 no. This is the God of the universe, the one who spoke the earth into existence, the one who spoke the sun out of his mouth, the one who put every star in the sky and he knows them by name. This is the good shepherd. And he is the one, this God, the Word of God, the God who became flesh, this is the God who laid down his life for you and for me so that we could live. <laughs> I hope they do. I hope they do. The one who created the stars and knows them by name died for us. And then because he even has authority over death, he rose from the grave. Now, why did he do this? Jesus says in verse 11, I lay my life down for the sheep. That word for signals a sacrifice. This isn't merely an example of love. This is a, there's an exchange happening here. I lay my life down for the sheep, meaning that he died so that we could live. D.A. Carson is a Bible scholar and commentator. Here's what he said about this passage. He said, the shepherd does not die for the sheep to serve as an example, throwing himself 
off a cliff in a, in a grotesque and futile display while bellowing, see how much I love you. No, the assumption is that the sheep are in mortal danger, that in their defense, the shepherd loses his life, that by his death, they are saved. Indeed, apart from Christ, you are in mortal danger. The wages of sin is death. We deserve the wrath of God for our wicked and sinful rebellion. But Jesus willingly died on the cross as a substitute for our sin. He took our filth and sin and wickedness upon Himself at the cross in all of God's anger towards the vile, disgusting sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ instead of on you. And not only did He take all our sin, but in exchange, He gave us the one thing that we needed to be justified by God, which is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. That has been given to you as a gift. That's the greatest exchange that's ever taken place. You give Jesus all of your sin and all of your filth. He gives you all of His perfect righteousness. And now you are clothed in robes of perfect white righteousness if you've placed your faith in Him. And he did all of this because in no other way could he more fully display the great love that he has for his sheep. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why God did this. So what is our response? Well, let me give you a few ways that we ought to respond in closing. First, worship. We should worship him and sing for joy because we're free. We will never be condemned for our sin. And in Him, we will live forever. Now, I was thinking and meditating on this whole idea of just that we are justified by the righteousness of Jesus this week. And I was reading, and, and one author uh, wrote, put it like this. He said, we have an alien righteousness. And by that, he doesn't mean like alien like Martians on another planet. I mean, alien meaning foreign, that's not of ourselves. So what he means is that, uh, is that the righteousness that we need to be justified before God is, is a righteousness that can't come from within us. It's wholly outside of, of us, which means that it has nothing to do with anything that you do. Like there's, there's no action you can take. There's no attitude you can have. There's nothing you can do to bring about this righteousness of God, this perfect righteousness of God that you need. There's only one who had what we needed to be justified before God, and that was Jesus. Jesus has the righteousness of God. And there's only one way that we can get it from Him as a free gift, and that's by faith. And even the very faith that we need to be able to take hold of this righteousness, the very faith that enables us to apprehend this alien righteousness, is a gift from God. So think about what this means. This means that your justification before God is not on a sliding scale. It does not go up or down depending on how good of a week you had, on if you read your Bible regularly this week, or on whether or not you sinned last night, or whether or not you're going to sin tomorrow. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, your, the basis of your justification is in an alien righteousness, which means it cannot be affected by what you do. You can't earn it. You have to receive it by grace. It's a free gift. That's good news. That should make you very excited because it means that you're free and it can't be taken away. We're going to talk more about this next week, about just how firm of a foundation we have about how no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. No one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. I can't wait to jump in 
to the second half of John 10 next week. But we ought to worship because we will never be condemned for our sin. Another way we need to respond is we need to love one another. So if God has loved us like this, we ought to love one another. Let me ask you a question. Are you laying down your life for other sheep like Jesus? Or are you living like a hired hand who puts yourself before the sheep? Philippians 2.3, the Apostle Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more important than yourself. Do you do that? I don't know if any of us do that consistently 100% of the time. If you serve only when it's convenient for you or only when you get something out of it, then you are not loving like a disciple of Jesus. It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to love when there's something in it for you. But selfless, sacrificial love comes from a heart that has received it. There's no what's in it for me. It just loves. So are you serving in the church selflessly? What about at home with your spouse? Do you lay your life down daily for your spouse or do you withhold kindness when they aren't reciprocating? Even pagans love when they get something out of it. It's easy. That doesn't set you apart from anybody else. But the kind of love that marks the flock of God is a selfless, sacrificial love. Church, let's practice it so that all people may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Let's resemble our Heavenly Father. Let's resemble our Shepherd. Lastly, one of the ways we need to respond to the, to, to our, the way our Good Shepherd cares for us is we need to tell others. It's difficult to understand how we could keep good news like this to ourselves if we really understand and believe it. I mean, if we do, we need to tell people. I wish I had more time to get into this, but in verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. When, so when Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, this fold, that fold that he's talking about is the Jewish people. So Jesus, remember, in the context, he was talking to the Pharisees. They were outside of the synagogue. And when Jesus says, I have other sheep not of this fold, he means Gentiles, like people like us. That's good news because... You know, most of us in here, I believe, are not Jewish. We're Gentiles. And so because Jesus says this in verse 16, that means that we also have been called into the flock of God. Jesus is calling people to himself from every tribe and tongue and nation. He knows their name, and he will bring them into the church. And the means by which he's going to do so is by calling them. His sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. How do his sheep hear his voice? The church proclaims the gospel. We are the body of Christ. So when we proclaim the word of God, it is the shepherd's voice that the sheep hear. So having said that, my question to you is who in your life needs to hear this week about how much Jesus, the good shepherd, cares for them? Who can you share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection with? We all have people in our lives that are not following the Good Shepherd right now. And they need to know how good this Good Shepherd is. One of the things you could do if you say, Jared, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to bring it up in conversation. Just ask him like, hey, 
We, we, we studied this, you know, this verse in, uh, at, at worship the other day at church, and I'd just love to share with you what I learned about Jesus from John chapter 10. Could we sit down and read this together? Just do something as simple as that, right? And if God is truly working in their life and God has drawn them, then they'll hear the voice of the shepherds. You don't have to save anybody. You don't have to change anybody. You can't. You're not the, you're not the shepherd. Your voice isn't the one that they're going to hear. It's the shepherd's voice that they're going to hear. And guess what? God works through weak people like us. So let me encourage you to take that step if God's putting somebody on your heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to get ready to, uh, to close. But just kind of to, to summarize what we've learned here in John 10. How, three ways that Jesus cares for his flock. Number one, Jesus gently calls his sheep by name. Two, Jesus fully provides for and protects his sheep. And lastly, Jesus sacrificially laid down his life for his sheep. So if you have never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, then I want to invite you to do that today. If you know that the shepherd is calling you and you know you need to respond and you don't really know how or what to do, and, but you want to make that decision, I want to encourage you to go to the back as soon as this, uh, the band starts playing and we are going to have prayer counselors back through those double doors and we would love to pray with you. So please, as we start singing, please go back there and pray with somebody. Don't put it off. Don't delay. If the shepherd's calling you, then go. Don't continue to wander away from him. And I also want to invite you, maybe you are a believer, maybe you are a follower of Jesus, but you know you've been a wandering sheep. You've been straying off into sin. You haven't been listening to the voice of the shepherd, and you know you hear him calling you back, and you want to return back to him. And you just need to pray with somebody. You just need help. Or maybe you're just a herding sheep. Maybe you got something going on in your life, and you need the shepherd to carry you. You need the shepherd to tend to you. One of the ways God loves to do that is through his people, through the church. So we want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. So let us, let God care for you by going back there and praying with somebody. We're going to take the time to do that now. I'm going to pray and then the band will sing and then you can make your way to the back. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We worship you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Jesus, we love you and worship you as our good shepherd. Thank you for laying your life down for us. And we praise you as the one who has the authority to take it up again. And you did. And you were alive and seated on the throne. And you were coming back again to rescue your people and to make all things new. Holy Spirit, we worship you. We love you. We thank you that you uh, lead us into all truth. That you enable us to discern and to hear the voice of the shepherd as he calls us and you draw us to him. Triune God, we love you and worship you this morning from the heart. I pray now, God, for any sheep that's straying, any sheep that has never come to you, would they do it now, God? Would they not delay? Eternity is in the balance, Lord God. There are eternal ramifications. God, may you not let one person leave here without dealing with you if you were calling with them. God, please be gracious. Please save. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.